0: I want to talk about generosity this morning. Um, but I want to start off by reading a teaching of Jesus. I've grown up in the church and I've, I've gone to a Church of England primary school and a Church of England secondary school. And there's this weird thing that happens when you're very exposed to the words of Jesus for most of your life. Is It, it can become a bit like wallpaper. You can kind of forget how radical and how simple his teaching is. I read this passage recently, and it it just struck me, just the simplicity of it. Um, And I was caused to just really take notice of of what Jesus is saying. So I want to read this passage. I don't want to say where it's from. Um, I just want to read the words. I want you guys to listen to them. And as as I read them, just consider, what if I actually applied these words to my life? What if I actually did what Jesus is saying? Imagine you're hearing them for the first time. Um, So here we go. It's quite a famous passage, but... And put that out of your mind. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Now this really struck me, and it's what I want to talk about this morning. Um, And what we want to get at with this passage is how do we apply it to our life? How do we actually make this a part of what we do? How do we walk it out? What we don't want to do is is turn it into a list of rules. We don't want to remove all of the life and all of the spirit from these words and just turn it into a religion, a list of rules that we can obey with absolute certainty. We don't want to do that. But at the same time, we don't want to read it and think, good old Jesus, and then just go back to life and, and not do anything differently. So we have to catch God's heart behind this teaching. And there's some radical stuff in there. Give to everyone who begs from you. Everyone who begs from you. What, what could he be getting at with that? If anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Lend, expecting nothing in return. So I think this, this is a particular relevance for us um, as a church. And I think it has to do with, with the season we're in. John talked last week about different seasons and how we can have different seasons individually and different seasons as a body um, in the corporate sense. And if I were to describe the season we're in at the moment, i describe it as a doorstep season. What do I mean by this? Um, when your house has a doorstep, it has a, a place where people know to come. As soon as you have a doorstep, people just turn up. Everybody has a right to turn up to your doorstep. and You can't stop people turning up to your doorstep. You can maybe stop them from coming inside your house, but they, they're going to come to your doorstep. They're going to turn up. Um, you know, Salespeople, friends, relatives... Thieves, animals, everybody comes to your doorstep. And that's how I feel like we are at the moment. For as long as I can remember being in this church, it doesn't feel like we've really had that doorstep. We've met in a school hall, which is great, you know, this place has served us well. But it doesn't really, it's not the kind of place that people stumble upon. Um, Lifeline House, again, a great little building that served us well over the years and we're, we're grateful for it, but it's not the kind of place that people just wander into for advice. You have to deliberately go there and press the buzzer and, and come in. And there's nothing wrong with not having a doorstep necessarily. Um, we're, we're a body. We're not a building. It's not about having a physical location. That will always be what characterizes us. But we have to recognize that God changes us and he gives us different ways of, of being according to the season that we're in. And so it feels like we're in this doorstep season, the season of harvest, a season of increased visibility. Um, for the last year or so, we've had... Two particular locations which I want to draw our attention to. and The first one is the coffee shop. Um, we've had it for a year and I've kind of worked there for most of the time. And we've had the, the community hub over in Castle Point um, on Beckantry Avenue. And these are really exciting places for those of us that have worked there. We've realised that these are really powerful things when they're placed in God's hands. We just give them to God, say, God, breathe your life into these places. Bring us the right people. And he does. People just come to us. They, they stumble through our doors... Um, and just are drawn to us. I think there are other places as well. I don't think these are the only two places that we have that are doorsteps. I'd like us to consider what, what other doorsteps could we have. I'm sure there's, there's lots of places in all of our lives that we could consider um, in this sense. So when we consider this topic of generosity and, and Jesus' teaching, it's really in the context of understanding the season that we're in, the season of harvest, the season of reaching those people who stumble across us, those people who are lost, who we encounter... Um, and who we can represent God to. I think that's part of what Jesus is getting at in this passage. I'd like to um, introduce you to one customer who's come through the doors of the coffee shop since I've been there. Um, We'll call her Tracy. Uh, Now I've got to remember that that's not her real name and not say her real name. Um, She's she's become a regular customer of the coffee shop. But I actually knew about her long before we opened the coffee shop. Um, I'd see her walking up and down Green Lane uh, often begging, often asking for cigarettes. Uh, she had kind of a reputation in, in the area. She was quite a notorious person. I'd often see her get kicked out of shops and, and be shouted out onto the street. Um, I don't know a lot about her. I don't know about her life, but she's the kind of person I know she's not had an easy life. Um, I know she's been in and out of hospital. Um, I know she struggled with different mental health difficulties. And, and she's not an easy person to know how to show God's love to. And those of us that worked in the coffee shop, we've really struggled to, to understand how do we represent God to this lady? How do we show um, his love to this lady? Um, and for the most part, we felt like we've, we've done a good job. But the thing is, she's quite unpredictable. She's quite loud, she's sometimes rude, she's sometimes inappropriate. Um, she's exactly the kind of person who I imagine Jesus would be speaking to if he took a walk down Green Lane. Um, but like I say, you know, we, we felt like we've shown God's love. We've often offered to buy her drinks. Not the coffee shop giving her drinks, I should add. But personally, we, we've given her drinks and said, you know, it'd be good if you could pay us back for these drinks. Um, and we've had chances to speak to her and, and talk about what, what informs what we do and all of that kind of stuff. But a recent encounter I had with her left me feeling dissatisfied. Um, it was a Friday afternoon, and she came into the shop. And she came in carrying a big bag of food from Greg's in one hand and a bottle of Coke in the other hand. And she'd actually been into the shop earlier that week. She'd been in on on the Tuesday. And I bought her a coffee at the time and said, Tracy, it'd be great if you could come back in later on this week and and pay me back for that. And so here she was on Friday afternoon. Was she paying me back for the coffee? No, she was asking for another one. Um, Would you buy me a coffee, please? And so. My brain kicked into action. What's the wise thing? What's the sensible thing to do in this situation? I said, ah, sorry, Tracy. I, I've already bought you a coffee this week. I don't think I'll, I'll buy you another one this week. It'd be great if you could give me the money back for the one you, you, uh, you had earlier on, and it'd be great to see you next week. So that's what I said. And I was happy with what I said. And then she lowered her request to a cup of milk. She said, could I just have a cup of milk? And you know when your, your brain gets stuck in that rut and nothing's going to shift your position... I refused to give her a cup of milk. I said, sorry, Tracy, not today. Um, And she left. And it's not the kind of thing I want to beat myself up about. But I was feeling dissatisfied. I was reminded of those words of Jesus. I've been reading them at the time. I thought, how do I reconcile my response to Tracy with Jesus' teaching? I just couldn't do it. I couldn't reconcile it. Give to everyone who asks of you. But that seems so reckless, doesn't it? It really doesn't seem a sensible thing to do. And so let's grapple with that this morning. Let's try and understand what Jesus is getting at. Really, this, this topic of generosity has been on my mind for a long time, uh, way back into the summer. Um, about four months ago, I was praying to God, actually, about harvest, about this general harvest that, that we were seeing. And all the different things that we were doing. I was praying about uh, the hub, about football, about the Bible studies, about the institute, saying, God, there are so many good things we're doing. We're building so many good relationships. But it seems like we're missing that next step. What, what does it take for pe- to get people from just knowing us, being friends with us, coming along to the stuff we're putting on, to actually coming into your kingdom? It seems like there's a disconnect. How, how can we make that next step? And God just dropped one word into my mind at that point. Instantly, really. And the word was generosity. And I was like, well, what's that about? Generosity? How, how can I... Be more generous. What's that got to do with uh, the season of harvest? And God gave me a passage, and I want us to, to go there quickly. Um, it's in 2 Samuel, chapter 5, uh, verses 11 and 12. And um, in this passage, we're reading about King David, and he's establishing his kingdom in Jerusalem. So he's become king, and he's, he's increasing in favor and wealth and power, And God's really established him in this place. But in verse 11, he receives a gift from a friend of his, a guy called King Hiram, who we don't know much about, but he crops up at different points in the story of David and Solomon. And so it says in verse 11, King Hiram of Tyre sent messengers to David, along with cedar trees and carpenters and masons, who built David a house. Verse 12, David then perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. that struck me, and what struck me about it was that phrase, David then perceived. So he receives a gift, he receives a house, and then it says David then perceived, or David then knew that God had established him. What God seemed to be saying to me at this point is that an act of generosity has the power to reveal God's purpose over your life. And this is, this is the key point, one of the key points that I want to bring out today. An act of generosity has the power to reveal God's purpose over your life. The very next week after God dropped this into my mind, Muhammad came, Muhammad Naku. Um, he's a, a friend of ours who's prophetic and he's brought uh, various words to us in the past. And he brought us a word about God changing our DNA. And there were four different points about this DNA change. And what was the last point on this DNA change? It was the generosity of this house. We, we will be a generous people in all areas. So I believe that this issue of generosity is, is really something that's on God's agenda for us. And uh, I've, I've come to understand that, that generosity is a powerful force in the earth. I'd like to make two more small observations about, about the two doorsteps that I mentioned, that I've, I've experienced or heard about. So the first observation is this. And this is about the, the community hub in Castle Point. A man suffering with anxiety tries to carry a drink across Castle Point and accidentally spills some on the carpet. Immediately, a lady, one of the English learners, jumps up to clean up the spillage. Avril noticed the lady's willingness to serve unprompted and commented to Sally that this was encouraging. Sally explained that such things are now commonplace in the hub. I don't need to remember, but a few First Tuesday prayers back, we used this story as a springboard for, for thankfulness about what God's doing, how he's establishing a culture of serving in our, in our community hub. Um, but that, that story struck me, that God is changing something, that this culture of serving is emerging. A second observation is this. In the coffee shop, our customers increasingly bring their cups and saucers up to the counter when they're finished. This is a very small thing, um, I'll admit. But those of us that work there have really noticed that it happens a lot. Um, it's a little thing and it might be easy to explain. It might be easy to say, well, this is just general human kindness. This is just the goodness of human nature. But you know what? I refuse to do that because I think God's power is at work. Um, And I want to dig deeper. I want to understand what is going on here. Why are people feeling compelled to give when they come into these places? What's happening? Um, I actually believe that it's founded on God's fatherhood. So I'd like to take a little sidestep from this issue of generosity briefly to talk about fatherhood, Um, and then I'll try and explain how it relates back to generosity. Um, It's actually something that that Mohamed Naku has shared with me, this principle of of fatherhood, and I got quite excited about it. But it really starts with creation, it starts with the story of Genesis, and it says in, in, in creation that God created us in his own image, he created man in his own image. So what does it mean to be created in the image of God? We know in the book of John it says God is spirit. And I think that, that when God created us in his own image, that means he created us as spirit. You can't see God, you can't touch him, he's a spirit. He's different to us, he hasn't got flesh in the way that we have. Um, and so when he created us in his own image, he created us as spirit. And I believe the core of what a human being is, is spirit. We have flesh, we have our our body. But this isn't the, the core of who we are. What we really are is spirit. I'd like to illustrate this uh, very briefly. What is this? Banana. banana? Everyone agreed? No one wants to dispute that this is a banana? Are we sure it's a banana? Okay, cool. Um, right. Yeah, sometimes it's really hard to peel a banana. Right, good. Okay. What's this? A banana. Okay, so that was banana. This is a banana. Is this a banana? No. Interesting. So. The first thing I held up, we said that was a banana, and it was a banana. It wasn't really a banana. What was a banana about it was the thing inside it, and you couldn't see that. It was completely invisible at the beginning, but we still knew that it was a banana. I think that's a bit like us. You can't see our spirit. All you can see is our flesh. But our spirit is the true essence of who we are. Our flesh isn't who we are, just as this skin isn't the true banana, so what this enabled for Adam in the garden, he knew that he was spirit. He knew he was created and made of the same stuff as God. So he had perfect communion with God. He could walk with God, talk to him on a daily basis um, and relate to him. I think of it a bit like you know, when you see a dog in the park and it sees another dog and it starts to pull its lead and its tail wags. It's like It recognizes that there's something of the same nature as itself and he wants to communicate with it. That's a bit like Adam was in the garden. He knew that God was of the same nature as himself, and he wanted to communicate, and he could. He could communicate with him, and it was a beautiful thing. But when man sinned, there was a shift in thinking. And this is really crucial. Um, Adam and Eve sinned. They ate the fruit in the garden that they weren't meant to eat of. and um, Sorry, I just, there was a coin on the floor. I don't know why I picked it up. Um, LAUGHTER I could have just left it there. Um, So they they sinned in the garden. And they did two interesting things. First of all, they hid from God. And second of all, they put clothes on. Interesting. And God asks a very telling question at this point. He says, who told you you were naked? Adam says, I put clothes on because I was naked. And and God says, who told you you were naked? And I believe this this question is key. Because what I think happened to Adam and Eve at this point is they stopped believing... That they were spirit and started believing that they were flesh. Their thinking changed and suddenly they didn't think of themselves as spirit anymore. They forgot about that bit and started thinking of themselves as flesh. Um, It's like saying that we are really this, that we're really the outer bit and not the bit inside. And it's it's a very sad moment in Scripture. Um, Man became estranged from God. Man became separated from God. Um, We forgot that we were his children, that we were made of the same stuff. Um, And really we became orphans. Orphans from God. So how does this relate to generosity? Let me try to explain. Um, For the spiritual orphan, for the person who's orphaned from God, there are two main needs that need to be fulfilled. Provision and protection. And you see it with Adam and Eve in the garden. As soon as they sinned, as soon as they start thinking of themselves as flesh, not spirit, they spring into action and they hide, which is trying to protect for themselves, and they make clothes, which is trying to provide for themselves. And they're trying to do this for themselves. And I think everybody who is orphaned from God is constantly obsessed with trying to provide for themselves and to protect for themselves. And so everything you do in life as a spiritual orphan, is subjected to these two aims. And for that reason, it's, it's impossible to be generous. Because you can give a gift. It might even be a big gift of millions of pounds, but in some way, it's going to still be trying to serve those two aims of providing for yourself and protecting yourself. You might be giving a big gift to look really good in the eyes of the person you give it to, to win more favour down the line or to receive something back later on. Or it might be to make your conscience feel better or make yourself feel better. But it's going to be serving those two aims if you're an orphan. The thing is, it doesn't stay like that. Because we know that God sent his son into the world, Jesus, who died and raised again. And through Jesus' sacrifice, we're able to be reconciled to God. And what happens when we're born again, when we're born of the spirit, is that that spirit inside of us wakes up and remembers that it exists. It's like that misunderstanding that we had when we thought that we were flesh and not spirit, it just blown away and we realize, ah, I'm spirit after all. We receive a spirit of adoption. And we look at God and we say, "Ah, God, we are made of the same stuff. We are spirit. We are both spirit. I can connect with you. I can communicate with you. And we're restored to God. We realize that he's our, our father, that he's our dad. Paul says, when we cry Abba, Father, it's that same spirit inside of us testifying with our spirit that we are his children. We realize that we're spirit after all. I remember when Wilco described his own experience, he said, it felt like greeting a long-lost friend. I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. It's like we realize that we've been estranged from God and now we're restored. But the other thing that happens in this moment that we're born again of the spirit is that we realise that God is our protector and our provider. We realise at that moment that for all eternity, those two aims of provision and protection that we tried to get for ourselves but we couldn't, are fulfilled. God is a perfect father and he provides for us and he protects for us. And once we get that, what are we free to do? We're free to give. We're free to be generous for the first time. An orphan cannot do that. But as sons of God, we can. And this generosity that flows from this position of, of knowing God as our, our dad, knowing God as our father, is all-encompassing. It's more than just money. It's more than just giving stuff, material things. Hans talked a while back about generosity and, and how it's communicating this, this hope that we have, communicating this culture that we have. It's more than just giving of stuff. It's laying down our lives. It's evangelism. It's serving it's words of encouragement, it's prophecy, it's use of our gifts. Evangelism is founded on, on this idea that we are God's children. This idea that we have something so amazing we can't keep it to ourselves and we have to share it. I remember when, when I had this click in my thinking myself, um, it wasn't too long ago actually, um, I used to be really scared as a, as a teenager of, of walking around at night around this area. Um, And when I was younger, it was so bad that I I couldn't actually go out on on certain occasions. And I would try and avoid going to hangouts or whatever if I had to walk around, if I couldn't get a lift. And it was really crippling for me. Uh, The older I got, it became less intense, but I was still cautious. I was still kind of wary. And I'd walk around and I'd think, you know, who's that person? Do I need to cross the road? Uh, All of that kind of stuff. But I remember when I I truly knew God as my, my dad, as my father. Suddenly that, that fear went, because I knew he was my protector. And so I was completely confident. I just walked around boldly. I didn't even notice it. Um, I just realized one day, I'm not scared anymore. I'm just walking around freely. But the funny thing is that my thinking changed so much um, that instead of wondering who was going to come up to me and, and potentially rob me or ask me for money or whatever I was afraid of, I started actually wanting people to approach me so I could talk to them about Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> And I wouldn't recommend that at all. But genuinely, that was a thought that went through my head. I was like, oh, I hope someone comes up and speaks to me. I'm looking for opportunities anyway. It would be great if someone did that. Um, But that, for me, underlines the change that happens when we truly understand God as our provider and our protector. It's such a radical change. It flips completely on its head. This lifestyle of generosity flows naturally from a revelation of God's fatherhood. You can't stop it. A revelation of the Father will always have this effect of unlocking um, a giving disposition in the person that has the revelation. As an orphan, generosity is impossible, but as a son of God, generosity is inevitable. It just happens, and you see it in many biblical stories. Think about the woman at the well, or, or Zacchaeus, um, or Mary pouring the, uh, the the ointment over Jesus. Um, these are people that encountered the Father. They encountered the Father's love, the Father's heart, and they couldn't help but give of themselves in that moment. Uh, They laid down their lives, their incomes, their reputations, their insecurities. And some of them had really bad reputations as well, but they didn't care about that. They didn't care what people thought of them. They just ran and told of what what had happened. They gave of themselves and their resources. And this is exactly what happens. You can see it all throughout Scripture. And this is also why I feel that when people come into the coffee shop, and come into the community hub, they feel compelled to serve. I feel like this revelation of of the father, of his fatherhood, this culture of fatherhood that we're establishing in these places is rubbing off on them, and they're feeling compelled to to give, to serve. So what I really want to communicate is that generosity is a powerful thing. There is power in generosity. It's not just an exchange of resources. When generosity is founded on the truth of God's fatherhood, that we know deep inside of us, it becomes a part of who we are. When we give, when we're generous, it has the power to reveal him. It's back to, to David and, and King Hiram. We, we give a gift, people receive it, and something unlocks inside of them. They become conscious of a higher set of standards, a higher purpose for their life. It just happens. So if we go back to, uh, to Tracy and my encounter with Tracy... I justified my decision in not giving her a coffee or a cup of milk in that afternoon in the coffee shop. I felt good about it. I thought, okay, yeah, I've been sensible in that, in that scenario. And there are many reasons why I maybe was sensible from a human perspective. It's bad business, first of all. I mean, it wasn't the coffee shop giving her the, the drink. It was me. I would have made that clear. But nevertheless, we have a culture of serving, professionalism. And if you start giving away free drinks, it's just, it creates the impression that someone can come in and just get something for free, which doesn't really fit with the idea of running a business. So that's a good reason not, not to do it. Um, there's also that, that moral issue of it creates a culture of dependency. So she depends on my gift, and she'll come in again and again and exploit me, and, and I just give to her all the time, and it's feeding that dependency, and that's bad for her. You could argue, and I've done it many, many times, that it's actually more loving uh, to not give her the gift because it teaches her the value of money um, and that's the loving thing to do I could think of myself as a pushover I could take it as a moral issue for myself and say yeah well if I give her the money then I've, I've not stood my ground and, and it's not been a good, a good moment for me I could think what if she brought back friends what if she went away and brought back loads of people or came back every day <laughs> what if she came back four times in the same day what if she followed me home and started knocking on my door asking for money I could think of all of these crazy scenarios. And then there's the sheer absurdity of the situation. I mean, she came in with a bag of food from Greg's and a, a bottle of Coke. Sometimes she comes in with nothing and says, I'm so thirsty, could you please give me some? Fine, like Fine, that, that's a good, good reason to give a drink. But she wasn't thirsty, she wasn't hungry. So there are many, many reasons not to give her money in that situation. But I think these thoughts that go through our heads are thoughts that don't acknowledge God's power. They're actually powerless thoughts. When Jesus reached out and touched the man with leprosy, he didn't think, what if I end up with the disease? They're thoughts that deny, that contained in a true act of generosity, is the power that created the world, that parted the Red Sea, that raised Jesus from the dead. This is a serious power contained in in one act. I think there's power enough to change someone's life in that act. Jesus said something very interesting when he, he walked on the earth, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, Jesus came to demonstrate exactly what the Father was like. So that when you looked at him, you saw the Father's heart just in him. You didn't have to talk to him, you just look at him. And that's the Father right there in Jesus. I remember um, Shane Claiborne talking about uh, Jesus being, being God incarnate and how that word is, has that, that car element to it, which is like chili con carne, uh, which is related to meat. And he described Jesus as being like God with meat on. Jesus was God with meat on. He was God in the flesh. And you looked at him, and he represented God. Something else that's interesting that Jesus said was, as the Father sent me, I now send you. He said it to his disciples. As the Father sent me... I now send you. So that means we're sent with that same commission to represent God. So that we can say, like Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, you've seen something of the Father. And I believe we're to take on the character of God towards the lost. We're not bringing people into the kingdom so that somewhere down the line they might bump into God or they might meet with God. I think since Jesus is in us, the King is in us, just talking to someone should be their encounter with God. I often think, oh, what if my friend had an encounter with God? My friend really needs to meet with God. He needs to meet with God in me. I can be that encounter to him. I think this is a part of, of what we're called to do. And I think there are many ways we can do this, many ways we can represent God in this way. But I believe generosity is an absolutely central way of doing this. It's taking on the character of God. It's being merciful. It's representing him. If I were to leave us with a new definition of generosity, it would be this. Generosity is supernatural giving. As you said, just giving is not enough. It's not enough to just give because you can give and be selfish. If you've got that orphan awesome mindset, that orphan awesome spirit in your giving, it's going to be a selfish act. There's not really much you can do about it. So giving isn't enough. But if you're giving generously, if you're giving from that position of knowing God is your father, he's your provider, he's your protector then generosity is supernatural giving. It's giving where I get to hand over the gift, but God is giving through me. So I am doing the handing over the gift, but really it's God handing the person the cup of coffee or or giving the money or whatever it is that I'm doing. It says in, in James 1, let me just find it. It says in James 1, every generous act of giving, this is verse 17, with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I love that verse. God is doing the giving. God is the one doing the giving. It's coming down from above, from him. Generosity is is giving with the weight of heaven behind it. There's another story I want to share about the coffee shop. And it was as I was processing some of this stuff. Um, I was in there actually with um, uh, Naomi Stevens. I just dropped her in it. Um, and we prayed before we opened, as, as we often do. And said, God, bring us the right people. Bring people into this place that, that you want to reveal your heart to, that you want to reveal your nature to. Um, and we got on and opened the shop and uh, started... Serving coffee, and a lady came in. Uh, she was waiting for a taxi, and she came in and she bought a coffee and sat there and she got chatting. Um, and then another guy came in and said, Could I use the toilet? So he went in and, and used the toilet. And then he came out- Hello? Cool. So he, he came out of the toilet and said, Can I buy a coffee? Can I buy a coffee? And so he went to find his money, but he didn't have enough. And this lady that was sitting there talking to us said, oh, don't worry, I'll I'll buy it. I'll buy your coffee for you. And he was very grateful. He was thankful. He said, oh, thank you so much. But the interesting thing was, when he left, um, and the lady stayed behind and we were talking, she was like, that was weird. I've never done anything like that before. (laughs) Something just compelled me to do it. I don't quite understand it. And so me and Naomi were thinking, okay, that's, that's interesting. And actually, because this is all on my mind at the time, I started giving a, a short summary of, of what I've said this morning to Naomi. And, and she was gracious. She, she listened to it. and um, <laughs> We had a bit of a discussion. Um, but talking about, about that teaching of Jesus, how do you do what he's saying? How can you actually practically uh, live that out? And I kind of concluded and said, what if I actually made a commitment... <laughs> that I would give to everyone who asked. that I I would genuinely do what Jesus was saying, not out of religion, not out of following some rules, but out of love for Jesus, out of desire to obey what he says, to walk as he walked. What if I were to actually do that? And I kind of almost said it as like, yeah, I'd like to do that, I'd like to do that. As soon as the words left my mouth, (laughs) the door opened to the coffee shop and a man came in, and this has never happened before, in the year that I've been in the coffee shop, a man came in, walked up to the counter with a, a piece of card. Written on the card was, I'm old and poor, please could I have some money? And and we just looked at we were just like, what? The guy must have been a bit taken aback at our reaction. But um, I was like, yeah, yeah, you can have some money, yeah. Wait right there. So I, I went and got my wallet. I made it clear that I wasn't getting out of the till. You know. That, um, I got my wallet and I looked around. I didn't have much in there at all. I said, sorry, I don't really have much, but, but here you go. And as I gave it to him, I said, he couldn't speak English, so I don't know how much of this he understood. Um, but obviously, you know, there's power in it so, so God can communicate beyond language. But I said, this isn't my money. This belongs to God. And as I give it to you, this is his gift to you because he loves you. And he took it and he went and left the shop. I don't know what impression that had on him. I've never seen him again. Part of me was thinking, what if he does come in again and again and again? <laughs> Has God got any more money for me today? You know, But um, I haven't seen him again. But you don't know what impression that could have had, what God could have communicated in that moment. So I think we're in a, a doorstep season and I, I've talked about the community hub, I've talked about the coffee shop and there's probably more places. I think this is something God is going to lead us in in this time. Um, but I believe this, this message of generosity is something God wants to do. I believe this is his word to us. So my encouragement would be, let's discuss it. You know, Let's chew it over. Let's talk about it. We can't Make it a list of rules. I can't tell you that you've got to give to everyone. But you can go before God and say, God, if this is true, how can that generosity apply in my life? That's what I did quite a while ago, and he's been leading me on this journey. I believe that for every one of us who makes that decision to go before God honestly with an open heart and say, God, teach me to be generous, I believe he will lead you on a journey. But It means going before him, praying and saying, God, change my heart, renew my understanding. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us. It's a complicated issue, this issue of generosity, and it might not always be right to give to someone in one of those situations because God's wisdom is, is beyond our wisdom. And there are certain situations in, in the Bible, in the New Testament, when even receiving a gift can be an act of generosity. Now, that's a weird one. But, but Jesus demonstrates that, and um, maybe you could chat with me about it some other time because I find it really interesting. But it's counterintuitive. It is not something that we can understand. And we need the Holy Spirit to guide us in this. But I think I've spent too long in my life going into situations where the man on the street is asking me for money or someone comes up to me and asks me for money, and my default is I'm not going to give them any money. That's been my default for so, so long. I'm just not going to give them any money. Maybe God might come down with a booming voice and say, give to this person, and I will. Um, but I'm going to go in with this worldly wise position of, no, I'm not going to give, give any money. I'm going to walk past that person. When I look at, at Jesus' teaching, I, I just don't see that heart. And, and so I'm asking God to change, change my heart on that. I want to see opportunities to give from the perspective of his power to change lives, to transform people's circumstances, to awaken them to something beyond their present need, just in an act of, of generosity. I want to believe that as I hand Tracy a cup of coffee, I could be communicating to her that there is a Father in Heaven who loves her more than she can imagine, and he's desperate for her to turn to her. So, as I was thinking about this, I think there's maybe a couple of responses that we could have to it. The first one is this idea of... um, making Jesus Lord for the first time. I talked about being born of the Spirit and realizing that we're made of the same stuff as God. And I think maybe there are, there are some of us that haven't really had that experience ever before. We've never really learned what we're made of, that we are spirit as he is spirit. We haven't woken up to his fatherhood in our lives. And if that's you, I'd, I'd like to offer you the opportunity to do that, to accept him as father, to have that spirit birth, because that will be the foundation for a, a generous life, a truly generous life. But the other response is, maybe you've accepted Jesus as as Lord, and you know God as your Father. You have a certain revelation of him as your Father, but you still find this tendency to want to provide for yourself and to protect for yourself. And I think that we can deepen in our, our revelation of God as our Father, and I think he wants to deepen that revelation in us. Because if God is leading us into a place of generosity for this harvest season that we're in, I think he wants to teach us all the more of his love, of his fatherhood, of his provision and his protection. So I'd love to offer that as well. It's founded on on knowledge of him as father. It's about being generous, but we have to know him as father. Otherwise, it's just a list of rules. It's just a religion. Um, So that's what I want to return to. I want to... Just pray quickly, but I want to once again read this, this passage of um, Jesus' teaching. It's actually taken from Matthew and Luke. I've kind of mixed two together because they say similar things, but they touch on slightly different points. Um, so I'll read it again. Let's just listen to it again and, and try and catch the heart behind it, realizing that this is about representing God. It's about taking on his character, taking on his mercy to those who don't know him. Let's see it through the eyes of of his power. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. See, God, I just I thank you for this, and I, I ask that you would teach us of your fatherhood I ask that you would make us a generous people make us a people who when we give of our resources, of ourselves as we lay down our lives we would reveal you God thank you for bringing people to us in this season and bring more people to us give us more places where people can stumble across your kingdom and come to meet the king in us Lord but God Deepen this revelation of your fatherhood in us. Teach us how to be generous. Make us completely and utterly generous and help us to represent you so that when people see us, they see you. Amen.